Quick disclaimer, all information, content, and material of this podcast are the opinions of the speakers and is for the informational purpose only and not intended to serve as a substitute for the consultation, diagnosis, and or medical treatment of a qualified healthcare provider. Welcome to the Untethered Podcast. I am your host, Hallie Balkin. I'm a certified orofacial myologist, feeding specialist, and mentor. This podcast is all about getting your questions answered and collaborating with colleagues to bring you the most up-to-date information in the orofacial myofunctional therapy, tethered oral tissue, and airway space. I challenge you to keep an open mind and join my mission to get this information out to the masses. Let's get started. Lauren, I'm so excited to have you here today. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks. I'm so excited to be here. Let's jump right on in. I know we're going to be talking about your story and your experience um, yourself and for your children. So let's talk about how you got into this, how you learned about tethered oral tissues or myofunctional therapy and even being a need for you and your family. Sure. So in 2013, 2013, my daughter was born and we went through the first three months of life very happily breastfeeding and <laughs> nothing was really an issue. And then at around three months, I started having vasospasms when she would nurse. And I mean, at that time, I feel like the talk of tongue tie was fairly like new on the radar. So um, I think one of the lactation consultants in the area checked her and they're like, oh, yeah, she's tied. And we went over to the preferred provider, got her released. And I didn't really do anything after that. Luckily, my kids have had body work since they were born, but I didn't do anything that I would do now. And then 2015, my son was born at birth. They diagnosed him with a tongue tie. Um, and so we went back on this journey where, again, I still was sort of learning, didn't do anything. Um, but thankfully, they both seem to be okay. But I kind of think that's related to body work in addition to getting the release. So... That's amazing. And so who diagnosed him with a tongue tie at birth? Um, I think it was a lactation consultant at the birth center where I gave birth said, I think he's tied. And he ended up, we released him literally the first week of life. Yeah. Um, but he ended up having really severe laryngomalacia. So I don't, in the long run, I don't know if it was the best idea to release him right away, but he is now four and wild and crazy and perfectly fine. So. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> That's amazing though, because it's, and, and you also mentioned you were at a birth center, which also could have been part of why they were even looking for that. Um, so I, not that they don't look for it in other places, but I know at the hospital I delivered at, there's a complete gag order and yeah, I it's hospital yeah. Dependent for sure. Yeah. And so it's so, it's like refreshing to hear that, you know, oh, at birth, somebody was actually looking for that in the United States. That's wonderful. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's great. They're wonderful. I love the birth center. <laughs> Yeah. So you choose. Um, whose story do you want to talk about first? Do you want to talk about you, one of your kiddos? So, I mean, I guess it all kind of goes together. So yeah. once my kiddos had their issues and I sat at breastfeeding group with these moms who were also going to get releases, <clears throat> excuse me, and they had come from releases, but nothing was changing and they weren't seeing any progress. And they were so frustrated. I was like, oh, well, I want to do something to help. Like, I want to be kind of the gap filler and like what do we do when we have all these professionals but no one's necessarily trained in what needs to be done afterwards mm -hmm. and you know remember this was like 2013 2015 so we're in a different <laughs> we're in a different place now <coughs> sorry 
Um, and so I started talking to colleagues and friends and they were like, oh, well, you need to go take a myofunctional therapy course. And I was like, great. So I signed up for my myofunctional therapy course, which I loved and has brought me to many places, but had nothing to do with babies. And instead I got to learn all about the problems I have when I took the myofunctional therapy course. So um, it kind of was like, I wanted to help these moms, which I'm able to do now, but it also started me on the path of like, oh, wait a minute, what's wrong? What's going on with me? Now what's wrong with me? But, mm-hmm. you know, as a, as a kid, I didn't take a bottle. I was a crazy thumb sucker. I would not, I mean, I was like, they were painting my fingers with that stuff that tastes disgusting. I was like hugging um, stuffed animals all night long. So I could not reach my mouth. So, I mean, there were things from when I was a kid that someone probably should have been like, hey, what's going on with her? <laughs> Things we know now, right? right. (laughs) When you know better, you do better. (laughs) Exactly. My favorite quote. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Me too. Um, So, so what are you doing now for yourself? You've now started on the myo journey or you've been on the myo journey. Yeah. So about two years ago, probably right after I took my myo course, I started, I have had felt sick and tired for like, I couldn't even tell you probably since I graduated from college Mm. and would go to like a million doctors and not that, I mean, there were things here, there were things there, but no one was like, Oh yeah, something serious is going on with you. And so when I went to the Mayo course, I was like, well, I'm going to go, I kept going back to ENTs cause I was like, had facial pain and all of them were like, well, there's, you're fine. Nothing's going on. And finally an ENT was like, Oh, I think it's a TMJ issue. Go see a TMJ specialist. So I did, I went to, I ended up going to like a bunch of different amazing providers and kind of being like, what do you think is going on? And then I took to Facebook because I was like, what else do I do? And posted basically my whole story being like, what would you do? Like if you knew these things about you. So I have a left condyle that is enlarged and my right condyle is small. Mm. And um, I never had feeding or speech issues per se, but I had everything was in my neck and shoulders. I had so much pain and discomfort. Um, and so, uh, my very close friends here are osteopaths. I happen to also see them. Um, and they were like, listen, we think you would really benefit from an ALF. And so I was like, okay. And for me, I think one of the biggest things that was important for me was that I really needed to feel comfortable with my team. So it didn't, I needed to comb through what you gave me and what the options were, but I also really needed to feel like you were listening to me and cared about what I was saying to you was going on. Mm So um, my ALF provider is Allison Adams and I went up to New Jersey to see her and I literally walked in with like probably a five page document, like literally my entire history. Like as a kid, I did this, I got braces. My parents were thrilled that I didn't have buck teeth in my bat mitzvah, but now what's going on? Um, so, um, and I just felt like she really listened to me and was like, okay, so you're telling me you're sick and tired of feeling sick and tired. And I was like, yeah, that's what I'm tired of doing. And so that was like the right path for me to get an ALF. And, um, I, through my osteopath and through Allison, I don't remember who came along first, but I started working with Kathy Winslow, who's a myofunctional therapist in California. And so I had my team and the coolest part for me was that everyone was working together. It wasn't like, go get Mayo, come back when you're ready and we'll talk to you then. It was like, 
we're all going to be in constant contact about your care and let's see, you know, how we progress and what happens. Yeah. So important. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing when all the pieces talk to each other because how, how holistic it makes it for you, but also no two cases are the same. Right. And so everyone always says myofunctional, and you're a myofunctional therapist. We can kind of talk about this too. Um, but myofunctional therapy is not a recipe cookbook type of thing. You hear other myofunctional therapists say that all the time and there's programs and there's exercises, but those are just a catalyst to the end goal, right? So we're assessing to see what is, what function is functioning properly and where is the dysfunction and how can we help you get to a point of everything functioning at at its best possible for you. And what that looks like for one person could be very different than another person. And so, you know, we use our programs or exercises or whatever as like a means to get from beginning, you know, where we're starting to where we need to go. But like you're saying, that whole team is so important because, you know, we have to have everybody talking to each other. It's not enough to just have like any entity who understands airway and a osteopath who gets, you know, that we're talking about tether girl tissues here and that, you know, there may be a whole lifetime of dysfunction or, you know, misalignment throughout the body or systems and um, systems that are not functioning at their best. You know, everybody comes to the table with their own piece of information, but like, yeah, it's so incredible when everybody can come together and talk about the cases and say, you know, view things from their perspective. Cause that when we meet, when my team meets and does that and we, we study cases and we talk about cases, um, cause we do that outside of just our everyday talking. We'll also get together, yeah. sit around my kitchen table with some, some wine and we'll like <laughs> review some cases and talk about what are you seeing? What are you seeing? What are you seeing? And it's just so fascinating to even hear as a provider, how somebody views something, the same exact thing I'm looking at, what they take away from it. And there's just it's so powerful. There's so much to be said about people who take the time because we're all busy and it's, it's, you know, people probably know that I don't sleep enough and that's one of my goals in 2020 (laughs) to sleep more. Um, but I, you know, I put patient care up there just like you do. And, and it's so nice as a person receiving it since I'm also in, in, you know, the Mayo space and also have a, you know, doing the expansion. Um, it's really nice when people care about you and they want to listen to what you have to say. They actually hear what you're saying and then they collaborate on your case to make sure that your ongoing care is actually effective and the best care for you. I mean, that's, that's really hard to find, but it's hard to find. And I think it's important when we talk about myofunctional therapy to, I'm sorry, I don't know why I keep coughing to, um, remember that one person can't be everything for somebody. So like, I can be the malfunctional therapist, but I can't be your dentist or your expander or whatever kind of appliance or device or thing you might need provider. And I can't do your body work. And, and I totally get that this is not an inexpensive process, but I always remind my clients, like you're connected from your tongues to your, from your tongue to your toes. So if you are having a restriction in your mouth, it's likely restricting other places and I'm not licensed to treat other places. So you know, if we get a team to work with you, then we can deal with your whole body versus just your mouth. And for, and everybody's different. But for me, that was really important. I really was about the whole body. I didn't just want my mouth fixed. I wanted my whole body to function. Yeah. So I'm the same way. I I go for my adjustments and he, you know, the um, guy that I work with, Manny Kim, he will, 
and I always butcher like the process of what he's doing. So don't use anything I'm saying verbatim here, but when he goes, he does like this, you know, he goes up on my skull and he does his assessment and he'll go down on my leg or he'll go to my hips. And the miss, there is so much misalignment throughout my body and we correct it over time. And sometimes if we're not at the end of the road yet, things return and they have to be adjusted or, you know, worked on again, systems need to be, you know, checked again. And, and I just actually recorded an episode recently with um, Brian Tucky, who is who Manny trains with and um, will be teaching with, I believe. And it's a really fascinating, fascinating episode for people who want to understand more about like the whole body connection. Because, you know, people go, what, like a little thing in your mouth that's off can affect your alignment in your hips can affect your digestive (laughs) system can affect your, like, yeah, it can affect everything from the fascia to, you know, muscles, digestion, everything, you know, I'm again, doing this all major disservice because out of my scope. Um, But yeah, it's. So I've been seeing Dave Cans, who's my osteopath since before I started going through all of this. And even now I still, well, one, you have to see an osteopath when you've been out, but also, I mean, we're dealing with, I'm now 40. So 40 years of restriction in my body, 39 years. So I was 39 when I had my release, like, so things are getting better. And when he sees me, he's like, Oh, this is really improving, but my body's not just going to change overnight because I got one treatment. Right. Right. Well, and I think that's such a good point too, because it's like people get their tongue tie released and they expect things are just going to be different right after the tongue tie release. And what you have to understand, like you're saying, when you've had so many years of dysfunction and this is your body's new normal, right? It's compensating in so many different ways. It's not just automatically going to switch back to the most functional way of being for you. You have to work on that. And can you achieve it? Yes, but it does take a team approach, working with the right people who understand how tethered oral tissues can impact the whole body, who understand you know, and that's why also I love osteopaths because they really look at just every system as its own, but then every system integrated and how it all works together. Um, and it's, it's, they're so fascinating. I've learned so much from them. So, and I think what you're saying is, I think, I mean, we're not talking about this necessarily, but what you're saying is true from birth through death. Like if you're going to have this done, this isn't a magic bullet. Like there are things that need to be worked out no matter what. Yeah. And I do, I have had some adults who've had a release and immediately after the release, they're like, Oh my gosh, like I felt the tension in my neck. It's just gone. Like I didn't even realize that could be related. And that happened for me. Actually, I did feel some tension leave my neck and I was like, huh, I've heard people say this now I'm experiencing it for (laughs) myself. And, you know, and obviously like that wasn't the only thing that I was dealing with. I'm also now in expansion and just other things that I, I've had misalignment in my hips. Like I've had a, I've actually had doctors tell me my left leg is shorter than my right leg. I've also had injuries to my knee and that ankle, but I think, is it because I had a weaker side? Is it because I was already misaligned because right. of epidural tissues? Is it, you know, who knows? I don't know what came first, the chicken or the egg, but it doesn't matter. Um, you know, the tongue tie release and the body work has been extremely helpful for me because my legs are actually the same length. And <laughs> I can't tell you how many orthopedists and chiropractors told me my leg, my left leg was shorter than my right. And one actually considered doing like surgery, wanted to put me in orthotics. Like I've had so many different. Yeah. Well, that was when I broke my ankle and they're like, Oh, we should do this. And 
thankful for my mother. She was like, we need to get a second and a third opinion. <laughs> I don't really want to put, you know, I don't really want to put metal into you if we can avoid it, yeah, right. um, which thankfully we were able to. So right. the body can heal. Yeah. Itself well, well, I had a lot of similar, I had a lot of unexpected things happen after my release too, actually. So, um, I mean, we can kind of go there if you want to go there. So yeah, I think, I think people are probably interested to hear. Yeah. So I, uh, so differently than, I mean, every patient is different. Every client is different, but I did. So I got in my alpha in March, almost a year ago. So March, 2019. And my release was in July, 2019. So, and I had been doing Mayo probably since November of 2018. So I did Mayo for a really long time. One, I did it every other week, not weekly. And two, the cool thing about um, Allison and her team is they do a lot of Lois Laney cranial nerve dysfunction work. So on top of doing Mayo, I was doing cranial nerve reintegration because it turns out that they would like touch my face and I'd feel it in my leg and all these crazy like mismapping of my cranial nerves was going on. And so together my providers were kind of like, okay, we think now you're ready. You've, you know, you've done enough work. You're ready to do this. And it wasn't just, Oh, you're, you know, prepared orally and your mouth is prepared. Like mentally I was prepared, physically I was prepared. Like it was also about where I was and how I was feeling about, doing all of this. Mm -hmm. And so um, I was fortunate enough that that Dave, my osteopath was able to come with me. So I had an osteopathically guided, I don't know if that's how you really say it. Yeah. <laughs> um, awesome. uh, and it was done actually at a conference. Um, so there was a lot of people watching my release. Um, and my myofunctional therapist, who's amazing, flew in from California. So my whole entire team was there, which I know is not the most common way someone gets a release, but I was really lucky. And for my release, what, what um, Allison does is she puts these like weighted bean bags all around your body and has like massaging things that you can put on like different areas. And the whole time I was able to say like, I like this. I don't like that. Like this doesn't feel good because their concern is really related to midline. So when you are making, from what I understand, when you're making these incisions midline, it can really at times throw off your system. So if you're doing things like that, it's supposed to help kind of keep you stabilized. So, um, and so they started doing the release and um, it was not painful. There was a few times where I'd been like, oh, I can kind of feel that you're there and they would maybe give me a little bit more. But um, the coolest thing was Dave was on my neck and he would touch spots and be like, you have to release right there. Like that is where she is most restricted. And I don't, you know, I can't speak to what anybody else gets, but I think that's pretty cool because I don't know that those spots would have been released as much had someone not been like, Hey, she, that's where she needs to be released. Mm -hmm. Um, so, um, that was all completed. And literally within <clears throat> seconds of my release being done, I was like, Oh my God, this is what it feels like to not be in fight or flight. I've been living in fight or flight my entire life. Wow. So that was like the biggest thing. And also neck tension. And I have, I've had like a torticollis my whole life. I still have it because my C1 is goofy, but it was better. The picture before and after my head's tilted, my after it's not. Um, so there were like immediate changes for sure. But I still, I mean, I still think all these months later, I'm still doing things to kind of maintain what's been changed. Sure. Yeah. 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 And now are you still in your ALF or is your ALF done? I'm still in my ALF. I don't know for how long. It's been about a year. Mm -hmm. um, the other cool thing that happened probably like a night or two after my release happened is I started dreaming when I slept for the 
probably the first time and I couldn't tell you when. So, um, yeah. So we actually just looked at pictures, um, probably the last time I was at Allison's office and my airway is definitely getting bigger. You can see there's just differences. You can see my jaw is still sort of reef modeling and doing whatever it's supposed to be doing, but my airway is definitely bigger than it was between the alpha and the tongue tie release. So that's pretty cool. That's um, yeah. And did you have your, you had your elf in before your release? And my so you had some expansion already prior to releasing your tongue. Yeah, it was probably like four months. So I don't know. Okay. I mean, an elf works slower in an adult than. Yeah. So I don't yeah. know necessarily how much I had, but yeah, I had some expansion. Yeah. Um, and. Do you feel like it was enough room for your tongue to at least be able to suction to the palate, you know, once, once the release Yeah, happened? I don't, I think that part of why I had. I mean, I could suction, but I don't think I had overflow. I think that was mo more because of the restriction than space okay. necessarily. Like I think once I was able to um, actually have movement that I needed, that it was kind of better than it had been before. Mm. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. Very cool. Mm -hmm. I love it. Um, anything else that you want to share about your experience or your case or should we chat about one of your kiddos? Um, well, so uh, so I documented my whole entire like post release, like I'm like crazy with the spreadsheet and whatever else in pictures. I love it. And I think I don't, I share this cause it was something that was kind of shocking to me. And so I know not everyone experiences it, but I was super tired for a good, like three to four days after my release. Like my body was just like, Oh my God, what did you just do to me? Mm. And I didn't expect that. And in talking with everyone on my team, they were like, yeah, your body's just been through like a big change. Like mm -hmm. not everyone gets that, but mm -hmm. for you, that's what's happening. And so I know I hear people talking about, oh, I went and I like gave a talk the right after my release. For me, that was not, <laughs> that was not on the radar at all. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, and you know, for sure I was doing a lot of aftercare for, you know, six to eight weeks. I was doing exercises and manual stretches and you know, all kinds of different things to make sure that it stayed open and healed correctly. Um, and I was very lucky because Kathy would check in with me pretty much daily and for the first like week or two and be like, what's going on? And awesome. so, yeah, it was really cool to have that. And I think that while my experience is not what everybody's going to experience, it's kind of when I tell people my story, they're like, oh, I didn't know that. And it's nice for me as a provider to be like, listen, I've been through it. We're not going to have the same experience, but I can tell you what I experienced. And so maybe it will help you a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, it's, um, I feel like it's really helped me connect with my patients because yeah. I can obviously relate as both the patient, also a mom, since my, both my kids have been released and they were released at different points of their life. So that also helps me relate to people who have either a newborn or a toddler going through a release. Yeah. Um, and me as an adult. And so I think that that does make it so that people get like, oh, you're not just saying I need to do this. You've actually experienced it yourself. And when I had mine done, <laughs> like I tell everybody this because I think it's actually hilarious. I've had people tell me like, oh, I went out for dinner and I ate afterwards. And I'm like, wait, you did what? Like, yeah. like uh, it took me 45 minutes to eat half a cup of room temperature oatmeal because I was uh -huh. afraid eating warm oatmeal would like upset my tongue. So I'm like, I don't know how you went out and ate a salad, but um, maybe you weren't as released as much as I would. I don't know. <laughs> well, first of all, I couldn't even, I remember, so there was like a panel after I got released and, right. and they were like, oh, will you, you know, will you talk on it? And I was like, oh, sure. And my tongue 
was numbed like more on one side than the other. So I'm talking and I'm like, I am definitely speaking in gibberish. Like there are not actually words coming out of my mouth. And that was like the worst part of me as the, as the numbing wore off in different increments, I like could use part of my tongue, but not the other part of my tongue. Yeah. And then I was starving, but I was like, I don't even know where my tongue is in my mouth right now to mm-hmm. eat food. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the like immediate after is can be really intense and is really different for everybody. Yeah, and I had no pain in mine either, and actually no pain in the healing, which I was surprised about. I thought right. I would have pain, um, but I didn't have sutures either. And I think that if you have sutures, that can definitely contribute to pain as well. Um, But I say that because I just, I ended up not taking anything after that, but I had the same feeling with like the, the local anesthetic wearing off. I'm like driving home, I'm on the highway and I'm like, that is a, like, my tongue is numb. Like, that's a really weird feeling. Like, I'm like, you know, so aware of it. And I'm like in the car, like at a stoplight, like elevating my tongue and suctioning my tongue. And people around me are probably like, what is she? Yeah, right. (laughs) I had pain for sure. I don't know if I had, I was sore. I was really sore. And they, I was sore. Yes. But I also think Um, it was the surrounding muscles too that were. Yeah. I don't, I, if I went and looked back close enough at my document, I'd probably be able to tell, but I definitely was like, I was really hoping that like I'd wake up and be like, Oh, I'm not congested anymore. Cause I have like crazy allergies and it's better. It's been better, but it's not gone, but I was sore. And I had, I think I took like, I don't remember Motrin or ibuprofen or something before. And then they gave me topical lidocaine and I hated it. I like could not tolerate mm. it. So I think I used Arnica not that I'm like telling anybody what they should be using, but it was really helpful. Yeah. Um, to even just like, the other thing I did was a lot of ice cubes. Like I would use ice cubes before I stretched or did any of my manual stretches. Cause then I was like, ah, some relief when I'm like, Mm -hmm. but I had to be really careful because mine would close really quickly overnight. It just healed fast. So I had to like be on top of it when I would wake up and like, um, really monitor what was happening. And my wound was not a perfect diamond because that area where I said, Dave said, Oh, you really have to release that was lower down. So it was almost like a diamond with like an extension on one side. Mm. So that kind of made it for interesting healing as well. Yeah. Very cool. Very cool. Yeah. Mine was a diamond and like you, my body wants to like close things up very quickly. It wants to heal fast. And so it was challenging even as a myofunctional therapist, because I tried to do it on myself instead of teaching my husband to do it. Cause my husband is like, that's that's gross give me like no I'm not doing oh it yeah you. I couldn't show um, my yeah. <laughs> yeah I'm like I would probably literally have to drive to my dentist's office and go see Dr. T to have her like restretch the wound or like yeah. you know open me up every morning or something if I wanted to like touch it up and like my tongue is completely functional but as a myofunctional therapist I look under my tongue and I'm like there's a frenulum that looks like it's attached somewhere it shouldn't be because I feel like I did have a little bit of reattachment and obviously a new frenulum grows for a lot of people when you don't have sutures in place um but it's you know it's like I'm like debating like touching it up or just like leaving it be I'm like I don't know if it's restricting something that maybe I don't realize it's restricting because I did have some reattachment, but that was all me. That was all. And that was also learning about how my body heals. And I think for a lot of people, if you don't know how your body heals and you're very weary of that aftercare and keeping the wound open, then Mm -hmm. sutures are highly advised. And obviously I can't tell people to get them, but my, my team will often ask me, Hey, do you think we should play sutures? Um, 
And we typically always place them in young kids. Now, not a newborn, but like a toddler for sure. Yeah. Because, yeah. Was, you know, they're not going to let you in the mouth. Like, right. I mean, they need to reopen that wound. That sounds like, you know, a miserable feat. Um, <laughs> but a lot of adults, so not everybody has somebody to go in and physically like help you keep that wound open. Yeah. And so, and it's like, why go through this if you're not going to do the proper aftercare? So something really cool that Kathy had me do that I hadn't seen before I worked with her was literally manual stretches that were different than like what we're talking about with active wound care or like whatever post-op stretches somebody gives you to do. Mm -hmm. It was like really like making sure the wound stayed open and something I could do to myself because no one in this house was going in my mouth. That wasn't me. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So that was like really important. But I also think it's really important to let our clients know like what the healing process can be like, because if you're not prepared for that, And you go and do this and we're like, oh, every day you have to stretch every two to three hours. Mm -hmm. That's a lot. Like, I mean, I was at a course right after my release and I'm sitting in the back, like playing with my tongue. (laughs) Thank goodness I was around peers who were like, okay, cool, whatever. But did you do your exercises? Do your exercises. They were all looking (laughs) at my mouth. I was like a case study for the course now. But yeah, I think that it can be kind of jarring. And even for our, especially for our infant clients, because that's, I mean, new moms, who wants yeah. to be in their kid's mouth doing that? Like, yeah. I get it. I enjoy your baby and yeah. here you are trying to keep a wound open. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. So let's talk about the kiddos. Who do you want to talk right. about first, your daughter or your son? I mean, I guess we'll talk about my daughter since <laughs> she's the oldest. Let's talk kid. about her first. So yeah, so you mentioned that you noticed already into your breastfeeding journey with her that she was tied. So tell us about that more. Yeah, so I think... I mean, I was somebody who for sure over pumped and like probably created an oversupply in myself. And so I'm sure she was kind of riding that wave of whatever milk I had. And as my supply started to regulate, it became more uncomfortable. Mm. Um, and she was always to this day, she's like, has like a FOMO, like she is always like very alert, needs to know what's going on. And so getting her to nurse was really difficult anyway, because she was like, Oh, Joe Schmo is talking over there. I need to look at them. And then, <laughs> um, and my kids have always been little, so no one was ever concerned about weight gain, but it was just uncomfortable. I was really uncomfortable. And I was wearing like, um, those like hand warmers you use at sporting events, like in my bras when I wasn't nursing. Cause I was having vasospasms and it was so uncomfortable. Yeah. Um, and actually, so at the time, um, the provider we took her to here was allowing people to come like parents to come back. I don't know if that's happening anymore, but so my husband went back and thankfully a lactation, one of our lactation consultants came with us. Cause she was like, Oh, I haven't met him. I really want to observe my husband almost passed out. So thank God she was there. Cause she <laughs> was holding my child. And also maybe the reason that nobody goes back anymore. No. Um, but, um, and so all we did with her, I mean, she was getting chiropractic. She was seeing um, a chiropractor here probably from like right before that on. Um, but I only did like after wound care. And I don't remember what it was. It was probably like lifting up and then maybe even rubbing on the wound. I don't even remember. Um, I remember the first 48 hours being like a nightmare. And the day we got it done was the first day she ever laughed. And I was like, she's never going to laugh again. Like the worst parents ever. And she laughs. Don't worry. <laughs> Um, but you know, you're not the worst parents ever. Right. Right. Thank, <laughs> thank goodness. Um, but we really didn't do much of anything and she's now getting Mayo. Um, 
mostly because I'm a paranoid mom who's like, you're always putting things in your mouth and we need to like figure out what's going on with you. And, but, um, but yeah, it wasn't, you know, we survived, we breastfed for two years. Our journey was wonderful. She's self-weaned, but, um, you know, I don't know it would be different if I knew then what I know now and was able to kind of help her differently than I could. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. At least you figured it out when she was, you know, only four months old. Yeah. I didn't figure it out until Lily was 24 months old. <laughs> you got 20 months on me. I do. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I have 21 months on you. She was three months old. <laughs> right, right. Three months. Okay. Three months. Sorry. Um, yeah, no, but it's, Lily also mouths things still puts things in her mouth and like Mia's going through the stage where she mouths things mouths things but she's almost two and so she doesn't really do it that much but once in a while she's putting things in her mouth and it's usually more appropriate play toys and we're kind of teaching her you know pretend play um but it doesn't help that her four and a half year old sister is constantly putting things in her mouth because what does she learn everything from? Right, of course. Four and a half year old sister. Um, so when we jump off the back of the couch, or we, you know, it's like, <laughs> I jump, you jump. Yeah, that's what we do here. Um, like, guys are gonna, you know, guys are giving me gray hair. Well, that's how, yeah. My daughter will sit and watch, she, that's when she does it. And that's why I'm like, oh, is there an airway thing going on? Because it's when she's spaced out watching TV, like at her shirt, her whatever's nearby. And I'm mm. like, Oh, come on, stop. Definitely. Oral seeker, yeah. Seeking yeah. something and yeah. No, it's it's fascinating though. I mean, I feel like um I did give Lily a um a chewy necklace mm-hmm. recently and that has really helped her. I tried it in the past, it did not work. And so I think maybe a year or so ago. Um, but I let her pick one out and she picked out one that's shaped like an ice cream cone and she'll like oh, wear really? it. Yeah. And so like if she's getting like starting to put a lot of things in her mouth or I notice her lips are getting really red because she licks around her her mouth and gets very raw above her upper lip usually and maybe like a little bit down below like one side of her lower lip um I'll say hey you know do you want your necklace and she'll she'll be like yeah and so she'll put it on and then the next day her mouth is like cleared up ready so and it's it's pretty incredible how fast her body yeah feel itself but it is also so interesting to watch because i'm like this is totally air it's got to be airway related and she's an elf and we're definitely we're doing the expansion we're doing the work so i'm kind of just riding the coattails of everything we're already doing she started maya with me you know but it's like okay when are we going to drop this this uh habit (laughs) i got my kids chewy tube so they can like chew but they chew for like three seconds and then it's like hold on let me throw it over the couch and do whatever (laughs) (laughs) that's why i was like let me put this on a necklace so that it's around you because maybe then it'll end up back in your mouth instead of on the floor in the dog's mouth (laughs) yeah yeah right (laughs) always a problem in our house too (laughs) i'm like really don't want to have to wash things like you know 10 times over yeah Yeah. oh goodness so how so what are you are you doing anything else for her right now or is she kind of holding She's getting Mayo. Um, I mean, I'd love to have her looked at for like an expander or something, but we're sort of in a, we're going to deal with Lauren and then we'll see what happens next. So, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, yeah, no, I mean, trying to get her to do Mayo is like pulling teeth most days. So <laughs> <laughs> we'll wait on that one. It's um, funny because when we record them, like Lily's really into it. So maybe yeah. even if you're not posting it anywhere, maybe you're like, we're going to make a TV show. Like maybe that would get her to like, cause seeing herself on video, like that is like yeah, everything. Good idea. <laughs> everything. And I actually do that in therapy sometimes with some of my kiddos. I will have them, I'll be like, well, make a video for me and show me, 
you know, because then yeah. when I'm like, well, they have to, because if they don't make the video, then I know they're not doing their work. Right, right, right. But once they start doing that, they get like really into it and they're like, oh, and then we got the iPad and we recorded on the iPad yeah. and I made like a t and I'm like, yeah, and you yeah. can make a show telling other kids how to do this. Right. And like, even if it doesn't get posted anywhere right. ever. And I've done that with my kids, my like younger kids too. They really like it. Yeah. It's awesome. It's like mirror, you know, that mirror work. Or, oh yeah. Yeah. Like they totally love looking at themselves. So I, I use that to my advantage. Yeah. <laughs> now, yeah. what I've about your little guy, your son. So my son, um, what was born, they diagnosed the tongue tie. We like, you know, picked up the phone, called the provider, got the release. So he was probably like a week old, but, um, so, you know, I was doing the stretches, but at three weeks old, he started to, you could see his chest go to his back when he would breathe. Mm. And he was like out of the blue, it was Christmas Eve. He's like out of the blue, congested, like a hot mess. And so for about three months, we're running back and forth to the pediatrician and to CHOP to be like, what is going on? They kept diagnosing him with bronchiolitis, which um, I guess is bronchitis for a baby. I have no idea. Yeah. But um, it, he was like miserable. He like wouldn't, he was feeding, he was fine. But he was working so hard to breathe, he was exhausted and basically just burning off every calorie he consumed. Yeah. So finally, our amazing pediatrician was like, I'm calling CHOP and nobody's letting you leave until they figure out what's going on. Um, and he went through all these crazy tests. Like I remember sitting in the hospital room like bawling because they're testing him for like cystic fibrosis and like very rare like genetic conditions. And I'm like, I remember going up to the doctor being like, is, is he going to live through this? And the doctor was like, yes, sure. He'll make you crazy. He'll be jumping off your couches and wrecking cars. Don't worry. He'll be fine. <laughs> and, um, and so he was diagnosed with laryngomalacia, but he didn't have, so it came out like as he got bigger, it came out, but he didn't have that like, like typical strider you hear. Yeah. He just was working really hard to breathe. And when they scoped him awake, they didn't see it. So they had to scope him. They had to put him under and scope him. And then they were like, oh my God. That's what's going on. But throughout this, I'm getting mastitis because I, I like, he's not doing anything to like effectively get out milk. I'm like living on a pump because now we live in a hospital and they want to supplement everything and fortify everything and know exactly what he's getting. And so he had, he was the first person in our pediatrician's office to ever have a superblotoplasty. And um, it was, amazing I mean he came out of it and it was like he was breathing he wow. like it was I was like the mom at like six months old or like three months old who was like wanted to sleep train my kid because my kid had slept so much mm-hmm. because he couldn't function that I was like well now I'm not sleeping at all and I actually have to like return to work and like <laughs> be a functioning human being so the interesting thing about him is that I had no idea if we did a benefit or disservice to him by getting him released when we did. Like, I have no idea if it made it worse or better. And I may never know. And I'm sure it's yeah. on a case by case basis that we figure that out. But it didn't even, I didn't even really have the time to worry about doing post care or like the little bit I had learned in the two years prior yeah. Yeah. because of all the stuff he was going through. And, you know, he's great now and thriving and he's fine. But it was very scary to be like going through this whole crazy airway issue and having really not heard about it until he went through this because often 
I mean, our pediatrician would do this, but often people were like, oh, it's lingual Malaysia, they'll grow out of it. And um, so I've taken him up to see, um, he's actually seen Stephen Park in New York, who was like, the thing we know, he said something along the lines of that, a lot of kids with lingual Malaysia um, tends to turn into another airway issue. It doesn't necessarily just go away. So, you know, I don't know, I don't have any information about research on that. I don't know, uh, you know, any much more about that, but it was interesting to hear because now I'm like, okay, well, let's make sure we're monitoring his sleep. So he's had a sleep study that for the most part came back normal. He has like a little bit of um, movement in his sleep that isn't all that normal, but I mean, we're fi- at four years old, we're finally fine. And I'm not like living every day worried that something's going on with his airway. Um, so in the, in the end, having two tongue-tied children, the tongue-tie wasn't even the majority of his issue to begin with. He had so many other things going on. Um, so, yeah. So, and I know you had someone on who talked about learning Malaysia also. And I was like, yeah. so sympathetic listening to her. Cause I was like, Oh, it can be so awful. Yeah. I mean, and I've treated patients that have had it and it was very eye opening to me because I've not experienced that as a mother. Um, and I only recently in the past couple of years started working with babies. And so I was either getting kids at the tail end of what seemingly was their issue. Um, mm-hmm. but obviously they had ongoing issues that they were showing up in my office. Yeah. Um, maybe the airway was not the predominant issue at that point. It was probably still an issue. Like you're saying with what, what Stephen Park is uh, alluding to is that laryngo Malaysia in its true form may seem to get better by like 18 months, 24 months of age. However, we are then seeing other airway issues. It's either turning into a different airway issue or now there's been so much dysfunction in the body that the airway is compromised for some other reason. Um, So I'm curious to do more research myself on that and, um, you know, maybe get him on the podcast, but yeah, yeah, that there are a lot of children who do have it, who do not feed well. And so I think that thankfully for you guys, you know, cause that's so much more, it's so who needs that extra added level of stress, like not breathing, not eating, like at least you would, did you, and I guess my one question and you may have no idea, um, <laughs> but do you feel like he was eating any differently, like in the five days prior to release while your milk was still trying to come in compared to afterwards or was it too soon? So I tandem nurse, so I never stopped okay. nursing. So I don't know that. So I know my milk changed because my dog, daughter, I vividly remember this, looked at me one day, she was nursing and she was like, ew, that's brother's milk. And she was like, done. That was it. And oh gosh, that's funny. Um, and so my milk definitely changed, but I don't know that my supply ever changed. So I don't. Yeah. And you didn't, didn't feel any difference feeding on I you? Never, I don't remember being in pain with him feeding. I yeah. feel like he latched right away. I mean, definitely latched right away, but I don't feel like I was in pain. I feel like you know, I'm sure I saw lactation because that was just like, it was a great way to get out of the house and be with friends and go see my <laughs> feeding group. But, um, but I don't remember, I mean, I really remember being, my biggest concerns were like, what am I supposed to do about this breathing? Like he's yeah. not breathing right. and figuring it out, figure out how to get him to feed. Because yeah. even on the bottle, finding a position that was like successful and that wasn't exhausting for him was difficult. So I I guess, I guess a better way to say this is that he did have a feeding issue in terms of he was not doing, was he doing a traditional suck, swallow, breathe or yeah. Yeah. But but initially, initially, yeah, but he, and I could nurse in like normal positions. I just think that he was basically exhausting himself because it was like so much work to 
breathe and exist and then eat. So he was losing weight because he was just working so hard to exist, not because of necessarily a traditional feeding issue. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. That makes sense. I wanted to clarify that for anybody listening. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Because I, you know, I have worked with some babies where they've received the diagnosis and then it's been retracted and then they've received it again. And it's like, nobody really knows what's going on. But the bottom line is this baby is not feeding well. And we've tried everything under the sun and babies had a a release with a provider and then ended up going to another provider for a second release, which did help. But then, you know, because of the airway issues, even though the tongue is now functional and baby can feed, we're still having these other issues, which then impact feeding. Because if you don't have the energy to support basic needs like feeding, then baby is exhausted. Baby is gonna, you know, they fall asleep during a feed. They don't consume enough calories or like you're saying, they're expending so much energy that everything they take in is basically being burnt by Mm -hmm. all the energy they're putting out. Um, So it's, you know, it's not fun at all to have a child with airway issues. No, and I think laryngomalacia is an interesting thing because there are different degrees of severity. And so, you know, a not so severe laryngomalacia case sure, there's probably going to be something, you know, who knows, they may just make a noise, they may have some minor difficulties. But the majority of the treatment, at least what I've been exposed to is will just, you know, they will just get stronger, it will just get better. Yeah. And I mean, I'm sure that that happens it didn't happen in our case. But, you know, still, you have to struggle through 18 to 24 plus months of whatever, if you're not being successful with feeding. And that is a long freaking time when you have a child who is struggling (laughs) and and just as a parent in everyday life and having to deal with this. So, yeah. So I appreciate you sharing that because I mean, I think we both appreciate it. Understand you also are a lactation consultant on top of being a myofunctional therapist and a feeding therapist, you know, (laughs) speech pathologist, all the things. Um, So you get it both as a practitioner and as a mom, but I think it really helps for other providers to understand both from not just a practitioner side, but from a parent side, how yeah. freaking exhausting it is to day in and day out have a child who has any type of airway or feeding issue. So yeah. thank you for sharing that. And that's that. even just a, my kid has a sh- super shallow latch for whatever reason. Like you just gave yeah. birth or whatever, and your kid is two weeks old, you know, three months old, whatever. It's exhausting. You're not sleeping. You're trying to manage either how do I take care of a human? No one gave me a guide on this. Or I now have more than one tiny human I have to take care of. And so it's emotionally taxing on everybody involved. Yeah. Well, and I think it's also really important since we're kind of putting this information out there that if there are any moms listening, if you have a bad supply or a low supply or, and these are terms I'm not saying this, this is what moms tell me. Like my supply is bad. My supply is low. My supply is tanking. I can't get my supply up no matter how many different things I try to supplement with to build more milk. And moms often have such carry such guilt and feel like it's their fault that they could not feed their baby. But I will tell you, nine times out of 10. Cause I'm always sure that there are medical reasons and there may be moms who are on medications or who have other things going on where it might impact your supply. Absolutely. But nine times out of 10, at least the moms I see in my office, those babies, your babies are the reason why you don't have a supply because if baby cannot feed properly, they can't latch, they can't suck, swallow, breathe properly. They train your body to only produce so much. And that's what drops your supply down. It's not you, it's babies feeding that's impacting the supply. Well, yeah, I think one, one, it's a dance. So like, 
you know, whatever, one thing is impacting the other and you're in yeah. this vicious cycle. But two, I mean, this is not within my scope of anything, but just watching it and going through it. Like what we do to moms and mental health and, you know, just the, there's so many things out there that like you could, a mom could be driven crazy so easily. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's not, you know, there's no one to blame. It's not anybody's fault. Like things happen. It's not yeah. anybody's fault. Let's see what we can do to help you and get you to the place where you want to be. And I'm, I mean, my first thing when I walk into a mom and baby or a family's house is what's your goal? Like, what do you want to achieve? Because if you're cool with bottle feeding and not, and just pumping great, then let's make that successful. But if you really want to be, you know, breastfeeding more often than bottle feeding. Awesome. Like I want to get you to where you want to be. This isn't about what I want only it's right. Let's get you where you want to be. Yeah. And that's a really good point. That, and that, and it's very different for every family and, yeah. and there is no judgment past what's best for you and your baby is what's best for you and your baby. And it's, you know, you got to yeah. stay off those Facebook groups. Or uh, right. <laughs> it's got to be fed. That's what's important. Like, right. Yeah. You know how you're doing it is totally up to you. It's just meat mm-hmm. through their fed is what's important. Yeah. In the same way that with like my Mayo clients, especially my like young kids, I always go to it. Like, what are you really into doing? Like what, because how can we make whatever, if you love, you know, playing a sport, how can we optimize your ability to play that sport by doing different things related to breath and uh, oral rest posture and all that kind of Mm -hmm. stuff. And I think it's our job to educate, but it's our patient's job to tell us what their goals are as well, because they're not they're not going to work beyond what they want for themselves. Right. We can't, we can want it for them, but we can't make it happen. Right. You can lead a horse to water. You can't force it to drink. Right. So, um, with, I've had adults come to me actually who are like, look, I don't want to do expansion. I don't want to invest in all that. That's not what's important to me, but I do know that my tongue is pushing into my teeth is causing things to become more narrow. And I want, I do want, I want to maximize what I currently have and make sure it doesn't get any worse. And so as a practitioner, it's not my job to sit here and go, well, no, I think you need to do X, Y, and Z. It's my job to say, okay, great. And kind of educate and meet them where they're at and work towards those goals with them because I can still help you. Right. You, know, you want I to optimize for myself, but right. Optimize. Exactly. Want to optimize yeah. their function within the parameters of what they're willing and comfortable and able to do. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So I think that's a really great message I think to end on here because yeah, there's so many practitioners out there that will also tell you, you must do this. You must do that. This is how it should be. Well, there are certain guidelines that we want to follow, right? We don't want to feed a baby solids when they're too young or when we don't have them supported properly in a high chair or we, you know, or we, we you know, if they can't hold themselves up, you know, um, sure. There's absolutely safety guidelines and certain things in place that we should follow. But when it comes to your care and how you want things to happen for yourself, I think that there is a lot of power that should be placed back into the patient's hands in saying, yes, I want this. No, I don't want that. Um, because I think that's very different than how our traditional medical system typically works. It's kind of like, well, nope, this is your option. Take it or leave it. Yeah. Not like, oh, here are your five options. And how do you feel about that? Or oh, right. what works for you? Or where do you want to go next with this? Or what questions do you have? It's kind of like, nope, this is this. Okay, great. Any questions? All right, got to go to my next patient. Bye. <laughs> yeah. And I think that's across the lifespan. And I think, you know, I would say my biggest takeaway from all that I've been through with myself and my kids is that the biggest priority for me was having a team that I felt cared enough to listen to me and hear what I was comfortable with. 
And they may say like, look, I can't accommodate what you're looking for. That's not fine. But at least one, be able to say, I don't know, that's not something I'm willing to do or, or work with me within what I'm willing and able to do. And that's what's most important to me because I hate when I go to my primary care doctor and they're sitting there typing with their back to me on their laptop, taking notes. And I'm like, can you look at me? Like, let's talk about what I'm coming in here to talk to you about. Like I'm a human and your newborn baby through your, you know, 99 year old grandparent is a human. They deserve that treatment throughout their lifespan. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. No, that made me think of my, my, um, my GP does look at me. And last time, he, <laughs> last time he had a student in there who was sitting next to me, who was asking me the questions, you could tell he was so uncomfortable. Um, <laughs> it's like this like really adorable med student. Um, but yeah, but it was interesting because they ran, you know, they did all my labs. I haven't been there in a number of years because I was under my OB for all of the blood work and everything with having two pregnancies almost yeah. back to back. Um, but it was interesting because he was like, well, your numbers look fantastic and I don't need to see you back for two years. And, you know, most people have, yeah, I was really very happy with that, but, um, yeah, he was like, you know, we've changed the guidelines for vitamin D and for this and for that. And, you know, most people weren't meeting them before the guidelines were changed. He's like, but you're not only meeting them, you're actually meeting the new guidelines, which is like unheard of. And I was like, fantastic. Thank you. Got on your back. <laughs> you know, myself on my back for all my, you know, <laughs> holistic care. Um, yeah. I'm like, he has no idea what I do outside of his office. I don't talk to him about that, but anyways, that's neither here nor there. Um, but he was so stuck on me getting a flu shot. And, and I was like, well, if you look at my chart, actually, I've had a reaction in the past when I got them and I thought it was the egg because I had an egg sensitivity, but I eat eggs now and I was eating eggs last year. I'm like, so then we thought maybe it was the preservative in the flu shot. And, um, and he, and I'm not anti-vaccine. I'm just going to put that out there. I'm not anti-vaccine, but I like to choose what we put in our bodies. I guess my kids have all been vaccinated and with, you know, the kid vaccines that the schools require and all that fun stuff. But, um, yeah, I was like, yeah, no, I'm not, I'm not doing that to myself because one, we don't even know how effective it is. And two, but it just kind of puts things in perspective because they're so concerned about their guidelines and recommending to you what is being recommended to them that they're, he wasn't listening to me. And I was sitting there going, I react to that shot. He's like, well, then you can go and get this version of it because this one that we give to the elderly doesn't have this, this, and this, and there's no preservatives in it. And I was like, no, no, that's the one I reacted to last year. And he's like, oh, well, then you should go to your kid's pediatrician and have the flu mist. So they, and I was like, he was to no end. Like, he was like, you are going to get the flu shot. It's funny you say that. And we're like kind of going everywhere. And we didn't really talk about this. But um, Allison Adams, who's my ALF provider, when yeah. I started seeing her, was like, I want you to go get tested. It was for like a bunch of things, including Lyme. And I was like, why? And it turns out that I guess inflammation in the body can impact how you expand and things like that. So because of her, I found out that I am now recovering from Lyme. But at my primary care, I was telling her, like, I found this functional medicine doctor who I'm very happy with. I travel two hours to go see them when I see them in person, but I love them. And she's like, you mean you didn't go see an infectious, you know, disease person or whatever it was? And I was like, no. And she, like, could not wrap her head around the fact that I was like capable of figuring out my own care. And I was like, I'm very happy. Like I'm feeling better. Things are improving. I am actually recovering. I'm not like identifying as somebody who has Lyme. Yeah. It was like, I was like, look at me and let's talk about what I'm telling you is working for me. Right here. You're like, they're like mind blown. Like, wait, what? 
Yeah, not sure you heard me. I'm, yeah. I'm doing well. Yeah, but I think I mean, and we did go all over, but I think it all comes back to that holistic care and actually listening to your patients. And aside from you sharing your story and everything, if there is if there's one takeaway that either a provider takes from this or a patient listening takes from this, a mom or you know um, somebody going through this with their kids or themselves takes away from this. Find those people who listen to you and who, you know, even if they don't know everything, I don't know everything. You don't know everything. I don't know everything and, for and sure. anybody who claims to know everything is working from a very dangerous place because yeah, nobody knows that. everything. And so I think a, a fantastic provider is somebody who's either willing to go on that journey with you and learn or research things with you, or at least hear what you have to say about what you're researching and help you find other providers who might be able to help you if they can't. Um, that to me is a top notch provider. So I agree. Yeah. I a hundred percent think of somebody you have to feel comfortable with who you feel like listens to you and the person who, who may feel who you may feel comfortable with may not be, you know, the world's greatest expert in whatever it is that you need them for, but that doesn't make them the wrong person for you. Right. Yeah. Very, very good. I love it. Well, we'll leave it there. I love um, everything we've talked about and I love doing this because you never know where it's going to take us, but I, I think, know. you know, you hear me talk about like whole team approach and holistic care, like all the time. And so I love that that message came through today. So thank you for thank sharing you. your journey with us. Thank you for having me. This was great. Yeah. Thanks for listening to this podcast. If you want to hear more of these Myo Tots airway and feeding related episodes, be sure to leave a review on Apple Podcasts or pledge a small amount on patreon.com forward slash the untethered podcast. If you found value, others you know in this space will too. So be sure to share this episode on your social media platforms and join us over on Facebook, on my Facebook page at Hallie Balkan Biz, on Instagram at, at Hallie Balkan. And you can head over to untetheredpodcast.com to grab a copy of the show notes where you can also also subscribe to be kept up to date on the latest podcast episodes. Big shout out to Dana McKay, podcaster extraordinaire for editing and helping me keep this podcast alive.